Amen, amen. Indeed, may he be our vision, our guide in everything that we do. Good morning, church. It's good to be with you today. We have worship through song. We have worship through prayer, through encouragement of one another. Now, let's worship through the proclamation and the hearing of God's word. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, uh, grab your copy of God's word. Turn with me to Revelation, book of Revelation, chapter 16. Um, And as you're doing that, I just want to share that I never imagined I would be preaching on the book of Revelation. as a, as a child, I remember grabbing my, my dad's Bible and opening up, and I just wanted to know what happened at the end. In every book, you don't want to go to the end. You don't want to spoil it. But I wanted to know what was at the end, and I opened my father's Bible, and it read, El Apocalipsis de Juan, which translates to the Apocalypse of John, and I thought, oh my, the Apocalypse sounded scary. Um, and then I happened to open it in that one chapter that talks about the beast coming out of the water and it's got a bunch of heads and horns and you can just imagine the child just being scared thinking what in the world is happening but as I was studying this week and and preparing for today uh, I was encouraged I was not scared anymore Um, I was ready to fly away I was ready to go home amen and that's what revelation is about it's about the coming of Christ in victory and how we will go with him. So if you're uh, um, in Revelation, uh, let me just, before we, we read, I just kind of want to give you a quick overview of where we're at, where we've been. Last week, we focused on chapter 12, um, and we analyzed some deep questions that were helping us how to understand the message, the message of Revelation, um, the, the history of the world from the beginning uh, all the way to the end. And we saw in chapter 13 the enemies of God's kingdom. We saw the beast that rose out of the water, which uh, in a way represents political power. We see the beast that comes out of the earth representing religious power. And then in Revelation 14, uh, hopefully you've been reading at home, it provides another view of the second coming. Uh, as we see God's people being taken out. Uh, we see this as 144,000, which is a number that symbolizes completeness of God's people, all those who will believe and will be taken out of God's wrath. And we see in Revelation 15, seven angels, seven angels that will bring plagues. They will bring uh, 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 wrath upon the earth. And these seven angels are given bowls. And that's what takes us to chapter uh, 16 in the book of Revelation. So let's read this together. Book of Revelation, chapter 16. <clears throat> Verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice uh, from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The verse went and poured out his bowl on the earth, and severely painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped its image. The second bowl poured out, uh, the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it turned to blood like that of a dead person, and all of life in the sea died. And the third poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. I heard the angel of the water say, You are just the Holy One who is and who was, because you have passed judgment on these things, because they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets. And, they ha- uh, and you have given them blood to drink, and they deserve it. And I heard the altar say, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Verse 8. Uh, the fourth poured out his bowl on the sun. It was allowed to scorch people with fire, and people were scorched by the intense heat. And so they blasphemed the name of God 
who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent or give him glory. Verse 10, the fifth poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into the darkness. People gnawed their tongues because of their pain and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they did not repent of their works. Verse 12, the sixth poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Uh, Then I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming from the dragon's mouth, from the beast's mouth, and from the mouth of the false prophet. These are demonic spirits performing signs who travel to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for the battle of the great day of God, the Almighty. Verse 15, look, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed so that he may not go around naked and people see his shame. Verse 16, so they assembled the kings at the place called in Hebrew Armageddon. Then the seventh bowl, uh, the seventh poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. There were flashes of light of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake occurred like no other since people have been on the earth. So great was this quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell. Babylon the great was remembered in God's presence. He gave her the cup filled with the wine of his fierce anger. Every island fled, and the mountains disappeared. Enormous hailstones, each weighing about a hundred pounds, fell from the sky on people, and they blasphemed God for the plague of hail because the plague was extremely severe. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today exalting your name and recognizing that you are just, that you are holy. Father, may, may the words of your Word changes, change our hearts. Father, may we be taught today. May we learn from your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So, what a story, right? Last week we saw the story of a woman. We saw the story of this dragon. And here we have, in a way, uh, God's wrath just, just coming on the earth. It's this cosmic storm that reaches its climax on massive hailstones falling on the earth and on people. But uh, did you notice something? Uh, There was no repentance. There was no turning of their ways. These people who worship the beast and who got the mark of the beast uh, just continue to blaspheme the word of God. They cursed God. These are shocking verses to see just the destruction that comes of the earth. Uh, We see his just wrath on the earth at full strength. And God gives sinners what they deserve. Judgment, the judgment that has been coming since the fall. Judgment day has come. But I don't want to focus necessarily on all this destruction. Rather, I want to point you to verse 15. Now, in some of your Bibles, this verse is in red letters. Some of yours isn't. Um, but what I, what I want you to see is that even in, in, in the revelation of John and even in this chapter, Jesus interjects and he reminds readers that he is coming. He gives a warning. His mercy is even abounding here. He's trying to guide us. Let's read that verse again. Uh, revelation chapter 16, verse 15. It says, look, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who is alert 
and remains clothed so that he may not go around naked and people see his shame. Now, we've heard something similar, right? It, this should prompt you to go, I've heard this before somewhere else in Scripture. And you would be right. The Apostle Paul affirms this in his first letter to the Thessalonians. First uh, Thessalonians 5.2 says, For you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. So even Paul tells uh, his readers, hey, don't forget, Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 42 through 44, therefore be alert since you don't know what, you, uh, what day your Lord is coming, but know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. This is why you are also to be ready because the Son of Man Jesus is coming at an hour that you do not expect. So this revelation is being given to John and, and of what was, what is, and what will be. And here comes Jesus and interjects. He always interjects in our lives, doesn't he? And sort of saying, hey, don't forget. You don't want to be a part of what's coming. But I'm coming for you. And personally, I take this as a warning. For those of you taking notes, this is your first warning I, I titled Uh, today's message, heed the warnings. And the first one is, remain vigilant and on the alert. This is a phrase that a friend of mine in the Navy used to tell me all the time. Um, when he was in the Navy and I would, uh, he, would, he would be on leave and he'd come visit, he never slept. He was always somehow uh, aware of what was going on. You couldn't approach him if he seemed like he was asleep because he would just grab your arm and, whoa, what happened? He was always alert somehow. He was always vigilant. He was trained to do that. Um, and Jesus is telling us here, remain vigilant and on the alert. Be alert. I'm coming like a thief. But have you wondered why like a thief? I mean, we think of thieves as bad people, right? Well, a couple of years ago, my wife and I were living in a, a, an apartment. And around that time, uh, we, we, we just really, uh, I just really wanted a bicycle. And uh, I wanted to be able to ride to work, lose some weight in the process. You know what I mean? Uh, and I, I needed this bike to be comfortable. I needed to be road ready. Basically, it was expensive. Um, and my wife said, fine, you can buy the bike. Um, but the, then the matter was, where am I going to put this bike? Thankfully, right in front of our door, there was a bike rack about 20 feet to the right. So I, I bought a chain and everything to make it possible for it to be safe. And every night, I would look through my ring camera. You, anybody have those ring cameras? Um, you can, you, it's, really, it's really neat. You open up your phone, and you can just see what's out there. If there's any motion, it tells you, hey, somebody's walking in front of your door. Go check it out. And so every night, I was watchful, and there was my bike. Next day, pull up the app before going to bed, and there was my bike. So I was watchful. And one day, I fell asleep on the couch watching a movie. My wife, she goes to bed. And next day, I'm making breakfast. And my wife goes, hey, where's your bike? And I thought, hey, she's, she's messing with me, right? I said, it's out there. Yeah, it's out there. No, it's not. Quit messing with me. No, it's not. Pull up the app. It's gone. That night, somebody came and took the bike. Not only that, they just took my bike. Like, at least be fair and take all of them, you know? No, they just took my bike. Um, but that is what Jesus means when he says that he's coming like a thief in the night. It's not that he's coming to do us any harm or that he's coming to steal our possessions from us. He's trying to tell us that, in fact, he's coming back, but that we don't want to miss him. That we need to be watchful. That we need to be alert. That we need to be vigilant 
and looking for his return. And so we don't want to be found in this great battle, right? We want to, we want to go with Jesus. We want to be ready. Uh, neither do we want to be the recipients of this great wrath that's coming. Um, we want to be like the bride that awaits her groom. We need to be the church that is patiently and diligently waiting. Um, another thing I want to point out in Revelation uh, 16, verse 15, is that kind of like part B of this. It says, blessed is the one who is alert and remains clothed so that he may not go around naked and people see his shame. Uh, he's not saying that we should remain with our, with our you know, day clothes, that don't put on your pajamas. That's not what it's saying. It's saying don't go to bed in a spiritual sense. Stay alert. We could think of this as keeping on the full armor of God. If you have your Bibles, I, I encourage you to go to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We're going to read from 10 to 18. And it says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like the armor on your chest, and on your feet they should be sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. You know what that sounds like to me? Sounds like remaining vigilant. Sounds like remaining on the alert always. So, so practically, how do we do that? Well, you would come to know Christ. You would, put, you would come to put your faith in Christ. Uh, you read your Bible every day. You go to church, just like we are here. You memorize scripture if possible. You praise God you meditate on his word, you pray, you evangelize, you share the gospel wherever possible and anywhere possible, and you live a life directed by the gospel of Christ. And if you're always expectant, and if you're on the alert, and if you remain vigilant, you will be ready when Jesus comes. You will not be ashamed, you will not be found naked uh, in the spiritual sense. And, and church, we want to be found ready, fully clothed, and ready to go. And some of you are thinking, well, that's pretty easy. Uh, I'll make a to-do list. I'll make sure I'm checking everything off. Uh, I'll read a Bible verse every day. I'll go to church every Sunday. I can certainly do that. But that's not what God is after. You see, it's all about our relationship with him. It's not a to uh, tasks on a to-do list. You can check off tasks and your heart be a thousand miles away from the Lord. That is possible. That can happen. Anyone can take up and read the Bible and not be transformed. Certainly there's many atheists who deny the Lord and still know the Bible upside down. You know, it's, it's, anyone can pray. Anyone can go to church. But it's not these acts that save you. It is faith in Christ that saves you. Faith in Christ, not just faith. Faith in Christ. Uh, 
when we place our faith in Christ, and you, the redeemed, remember this, when, when you place your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit came and dwelled in you. We were born again. That happens. We're born again. The Spirit guides us and helps us to desire the things of the kingdom of God. So that list that I gave you, it's no longer just a list. It will be a set of things that you do because you're in relationship with Christ. It's something that, that you do uh, because you, 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 your devotion is to Christ. A list of things that you do without religion is simply that, religion. You can have religion and not have Christ. It is possible to call yourself a Christian and not be saved. It is very possible to live a false religion. And that leads me to my second warning to you this morning, is beware the attractiveness of false religion. You could also say, beware the attractiveness of the world. The world in itself is a false religion because it does not worship Christ. Chapter 17 provides us a closer look into why God's wrath was so great. In, in a way, uh, chapter 16, it's, it's kind of a bird's eye view of what's happening in God's wrath. But then we zoom in in chapter 17 and we're seeing that God's wrath came because he uh, was, was mad at this, uh, what he calls Babylon. Um, it's because the people fell into false religion. They were seduced by the world. Her name is Babylon. So if we go to Revelation chapter 17, follow along with me. We're going to start in verse 1. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me. So this is one of the angels from chapter 16. Come, I will show you the judgment of the notorious prostitute who is seated on many waters. The kings of the earth committed sexual immorality with her, and those who live on earth became drunk on the wine of her sexual immorality. Then he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, jewels, and pearls. She had a golden cup in her hand, filled with everything detestable and with the impurities of her prostitution. On her forehead was written name, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the detestable things of the earth. Verse 6, Then I saw the woman, and she was drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses to Jesus. When I saw her... I was greatly, greatly astonished. So here we find another woman. She's opposite to the woman that we studied last week. This woman is referred to as a prostitute. Um, different commentators differ on what her name being Babylon means, but they all agree on one thing, and that is that Babylon stands for anything that is against God. She stands for anything that opposes the worship of Christ. And you might be wondering why the Lord uses this language uh, it seems kind of vulgar, uh, but that's the point. It's repugnant to God. It is detestable to God. Uh, we often find this language in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament. If you read Jeremiah and Isaiah, and, and, and we also often find this picture of a bride who is found waiting for her groom. We also find picture of a woman who is lustful and seductive. And, and why is that? Well, God compares false religion and people being unfaithful to him to sexual immorality. For example, we see in Ephesians, he gives, uh, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians gives us a picture of the relationship between Christ and his church. 
It's a relationship between a bride and her husband, a bride and her groom, and how that relationship relates to Christ and his bride, the church. We are the church. Now, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 2, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, because I have promised you in marriage to one husband to present a pure virgin to Christ. But I fear that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So in the context of of this book, uh, Paul is concerned that in essence the church of Corinth is going to forget his first love. It's going to forget Christ and pursue another. It's going to pursue anything but Christ. That their devotion would be to anything other than Christ. You see, the marital relationship between a man and a woman, it is the most intimate, it is the most sacred, and it is the most personal of all human relationships. This is what God desires. It is the, the fine from, from creation all the way to revelation. Um, therefore, anything apart from this is seen as immorality, seen as immoral. That's true physically, and it is even more so true spiritually. And if I can be candid for, for just a moment, what is the difference between what a harlot does and what a wife does in the act? And there are many differences, but ultimately... In the sexual act, the difference is relationship. A harlot, she's devoted to no one. She's devoid of relationship. Uh, She gains only to herself. But a wife, she's devoted to her husband. She's in relationship, a committed relationship to her husband. And she loves him and she sacrificially loves him and he loves her. A man and a woman in marriage can commit a sexual act and that act is sanctioned. And holy by God. It is ordained by God. But a man and woman can be in that same act and is seen as immoral. It's seen against God. What's the difference? The difference is relationship. It is because of this that the Holy Spirit chooses to highlight this spiritual adultery. This is how God wants us to understand that he doesn't want us after anyone else but him. And how does that relate to worship? Well, there is not a lot of difference in the act of false worship and in the act of true worship. As we said earlier, you can make the list and you can do the list. But if your heart is far away from Christ, it's just a list. The difference is relationship. False worship says uh, it's selfish. It says you you can be who you want to be. It is driven by preference. It is driven by routine. It is anything but but about Christ. False religion at its heart has a desire to get something. The world says, do for me and I will do for you. It's transactional. So anytime that you worship God so that you will get something in return, that's not true worship. That's not true devotion to Christ because you're just trying to get something in return. And this is what this prostitute represents in chapter 17. Uh, The act of false worship might look like the same thing, but it's just an act. And Israel, time and time again in the Old Testament, was greatly rebuked for falling into this. You see, God is not soft in the way that he refers to the people of Israel. He is not lenient when he says, he shall be worshipped alone. And this harlot has seduced people. 
uh, here in Revelation 17. She has caused others to go astray to fall for her. And this is why the wrath of God is heavy on her. Her job is to seduce people from being faithful and having a relationship with Jesus Christ. She stands for false religion. She stands for the world. And honestly, all false religion in this world. And I don't mean just other religions. I mean the world itself emphasizes the works of man. You'll hear time and time again uh, that you can save yourself. All other religions say you can save yourself. There's many paths. There's not just one path. There's many paths to salvation. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. So church, we we ought to live for Christ and, and be his bride. We ought to avoid the beast and his harlot. We ought to seek worship and, and to worship Christ in spirit and in truth. And I think Piper puts it the best way uh, possible. He said about the book of Revelation, that's the goal of, Reve- of everything the angels have been revealing in the book of Revelation. Uh, that's what the whole book of Revelation is about. It's the point of all God's, ju- of God's judgments, the point of all of God's dealings with the world, all God's plans from history in the be- from the beginning to the end have one goal, worship God. Don't worship the wealth of the world. Don't worship the power of the world. Don't even worship the pleasures of the world or the messenger who brings you the news that Babylon, that the world has fallen. Worship God. False religion says you can save yourself. You don't need God to save you. You're a good person. How could God allow you to go uh, to go to hell? You deserve good things. You deserve richness. You deserve everything and anything that you want. And it sounds enticing, right? But brothers and sisters, we, we don't deserve anything. But by God's grace, we have everything. Left to our own devices, we're going to seek to worship anything but Christ. So beware the attractiveness of false religion. Beware the attractiveness of this world. And, and the third warning today is flee from the world, free from Babylon and its momentary pleasures. The book of Revelation uh, chapter 18 verse 4 says, then I heard another voice from heaven, come out of her, my people, so that you will not share in her sins or receive any of her plagues, speaking about this harlot, that Babylon, for her sins are piled up in heaven and God has remembered her crimes, pay her back the way she also paid and double it according to her works in the cup in which she mixed makes a double portion for her because as much as she glorified herself in industrial, sensual, and excessive ways, give her that, he's going to give her that much torment and grief. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen. I am not a widow. I will never see grief. Babylon is in denial. I am not going down. But she is going down. And Christ will conquer. Christ has already conquered. So the Lord is telling us to flee. Flee from the world. Flee from false religion. Flee from anything that tells you otherwise, that tells you something different from what his word teaches. Run away. Run away like Joseph did when Potiphar's wife tries to seduce him. Uh, Run far away. The world is enticing. Let's just be honest. The world is attractive. New trends and worldly desires will try to keep you from worshiping Christ but the Lord calls us to flee from the world. Otherwise, you will share in her sins and you will share 
in the punishment that comes for the world. Because judgment is coming for the world. Judgment will come for those who have sinned against Christ. It will come for those who worship anything other than Christ. Judgment will come for those who are faking it until they're making it. So church, a friend, if you're here first time, those watching online, heed the warnings. They are there. Flee from the world. Flee from its pleasures. Beware of false religion. Beware of that fake devotion. Remain vigilant and on the alert. Put on the full armor of God. Be ready for battle each and every day. And be ready for when our Lord comes. Perhaps you're listening this morning wondering, what do I do next? Maybe you have lived your life according to your own purposes and you realize today that's the way of Babylon. Maybe you say, Pastor Caleb, I'm a good person. I've done nothing wrong. I do good. I give, uh, I give to people and I take care of people. And, and, but, but that religion stuff, that devotion stuff, you know, quite frankly, no one is good according to the standard that God has set. Romans 3.10 tells us that there is no one righteous. Not one. No one has been found righteous. Not Adam, not Moses, not Abraham, um, not David. And yet, Romans 5.8 says, God proves his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us, and on the third day, he resurrected He defeated death, so we don't have to fear death anymore. He lived a life that we could not, so we can put our trust in him and live. Church, God is good. Christ is all. And I guess if we think about it, there is something you can do. You can repent, you can trust, and you can pursue Christ. Repent of your ways, repent of your sins, Trust Christ. Believe that he has died for you and paid for all your sin at the cross. Pursue Christ. Be in a relationship with him. Devote yourself to him. Worship Christ and Christ alone. Because no one else is worthy. Because no one could open the scroll. And because he is God. Amen. With our heads bowed, let's pray. God, we, uh, as we have heard your word this morning, may we heed the warnings, Father. May we trust in that you are coming back, that you will come for your church. May we be prepared to receive you. Father, may we be found spiritually clothed with the full armor of God, ready to, ready to worship you and praise you for all eternity, for you are worthy, says your word. You are the only one who is worthy of opening the scroll. May we flee from this world. May we seek you alone. And may your word be what we desire above everything else. We thank you and we praise you. In Christ's name, amen. You, you can stand.